Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Nights podcast. Today's a very special episode because we are bringing on a guest that will hopefully be a part of the show more in the future. Unfortunately, Mr. Ryan Warner couldn't be here today. He's on a family vacation enjoying himself. Probably not. But anyway, here I have Mr. Nicholas Iricchio, one of the founding members of Movie Nights, who is very excited to be here, wouldn't you say? Hey, how's it going, everyone? So, Nicholas, go ahead and just tell us about you. Give us your background, um, how you got involved in the Movie Nights, and you know how we met, and just pretty much your spiritual journey up until this point. Um, well, it started probably freshman year when I met Dalton in our SLS class. What was the name of that class? Strategies for Success. Strategies for Success, which we didn't learn anything from, clearly. Um, and we just started kind of making, having ideas for skits and just making them. And now we're here. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. But yeah, it's very exciting to have you on. Uh, also, go ahead and just talk about some, some of your favorite movies, inspirational things, and I think there might be a particular person you want to bring up, just, I don't know, maybe. Yes, well, Nicolas Cage, definitely. He's fantastic. He is an incredible actor. He's definitely one of the most consistent actors in Hollywood. You walk into a Nick Cage film and you know exactly what you're going to get. Uh, my favorite movie is probably Con Air. It's a classic uh, action flick. It has two of my favorite actors, Nick Cage and John Malkovich, in it. So that's uh, probably one of my favorite movies. Uh, my all-time favorite movie is probably Ghostbusters, directed by was it Ivan Reitman, right? Her- Harold Ramis did two? Or did Reitman do both? I think Reitman did both. Okay, yeah, well, directed by Ivan Reitman. And uh, yeah, it's just a classic comedy movie. It doesn't get old it holds up with the effects and everything like that and it's just a good time to watch awesome awesome dude all right so for those of you who don't know nicholas and i recently had the chance to see an early advanced screening of the newest mission impossible film mission impossible fallout now nicholas obviously we were ready going in just to see that beautiful henry cavill mustache and obviously us being big fans of the Mission Impossible franchise, they kind of continually get better with each one. Now, this will be spoiler-free, by the way, so no worries, anyone. Start off with general thoughts, and then we'll go into specific filmmaking aspects that we enjoyed particularly. But overall, basic general thoughts of Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, I definitely thought it was one of the strongest entries into the franchise. I've always been a fan of three uh, which I felt always kind of went underrated uh, with Philip Seymour Hoffman as the villain. I thought that was a very suspenseful movie, and that one was directed by J.J. Abrams, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so you already have a good director behind it, and I thought that this one was easily in the conversation for top three, definitely top three, arguably maybe the best one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've always also had a personal preference for four just because of a uh, big fan of Jeremy Renner as well. And I thought it was just another strong entry. It's a very consistent franchise. It's, you know, they're getting better as the technology advances, as, you know, you're bringing in different writers and filmmakers, and Tom Cruise, with his boyish charm, (laughs) is, you know, getting people in the seats. And if people go to the seats, people go to see it, then they're going to keep making them. Look at Fast and Furious. There's 10,000 of those. (laughs) Very, very true. And, um, you know, if Tom Cruise... He doesn't really age, and if that's Scientology, I might have to, you know, sign up for a course. <laughs> but, uh, but um, 
but I agree. Um, first of all, if I agree that three is also one of my particular favorite Mission Impossible movies. It was probably my favorite before going into this, and it might still be. Because like, it's very fresh in our minds. So like, like Nick said, I agree it's probably top three easy in the franchise. Like Before you even think about your favorites, you're like, all right, I know my top three are going to be this, this, and Fallout will be one of those three. And I feel as if um, this movie was very exciting. And what I really liked about this movie, which is sort of different from the other ones, is it felt very just like a natural course of events going in order. Like it went from point A to point B to point C to point D. Like it just kept going in that order. Nothing really felt too out of the ordinary except for some parts of the film. Like the beginning felt tacked on to me. And I don't know if maybe that was a reshoot or just a a late rewrite or whatever. But um, but overall, I really, really enjoyed the film. And um, a part of the film I really enjoyed, obviously it being a Mission Impossible movie, was the stunts and the stunt work. Um, You know, Tom Cruise is an insane, crazy man. And uh, the level of stunts he's able to pull off in this movie is insane. And um, what are your thoughts on just the overall stunt work? And were you on the edge of your seat during the movie? Yeah, you know, it's hard because Tom Cruise has to keep one-upping himself every time he does these movies you know in uh rogue rogue nation that was five right that you know he's hanging off the side of a plane as it's taking off no harness just a camera strapped to a plane and tom cruise holding on for dear life so it's like you know how do you top that and i think that adds a lot of intrigue to tom cruise in the parts because in his mind he's like all right i get to do something even crazier than that and you know it's a challenge to the writers too because when they do great action, they have to get on par or at least one-up it in some elements in the next one. And uh, one of my favorite stunts in this one is always uh, Tom Cruise running away from the issue. Uh, He outruns just everything. Uh, Like, I think in 4, he outruns a sandstorm. And it's just like, just got to solve all your problems by just going at a full sprint and being, like, in your mid-50s and just being fine yeah uh, i also love the tom cruise riding a motorcycle cliche which he does a lot in a lot of the mission impossible movies with his helmet off hair in the wind but um yeah uh, i thought the stunt work was very good um something else i want to talk about is henry cavill's performance i thought he did an excellent job um he his character is more complex than you expect it to be going into the film and um you know that mustache you know the one that killed justice league it you know was a beautiful mustache and i I understand why Paramount was like, no, he cannot get rid of it. Like, it, it must stay. I totally understand. And um, just also with just thinking about Henry Cavill in the movie, the action choreography, the action scenes, extremely well done. It might have some of my favorite action in the entire franchise, especially the bathroom scene that you see in the trailer. Yeah. That scene was done excellently. So what are your thoughts on Henry Cavill and the overall fight choreography? Well, first I want to address the mustache in the room. Um it was beautiful, and thank God that he had it in this movie because it's not the same character without it. The mustache is a character on its own. Uh, and his uh, stunt choreography is really, really good and uh, really well choreographed, and I hope that, you know, should they make a Man of Steel 2 down the line, they kind of get more into that personal kind of fighting feel, which is hard when you guy can just kind of, flick you through five walls so it's kind of hard at that uh i will say one of my favorite fight scenes though you know spoiler free he has a fight with a character Mm -hmm. and the character is just kind of hitting him and he's just kind of standing there (laughs) 
And, like, it looks like nothing's happening. He's not budging. He's like a boulder. And you're like, man, this guy might actually be Superman. Yeah, for real. And uh, funny you bring up Man of Steel 2, you know, the movie that we will most likely never get. Although every time we talk about DC or comic books, it's like, hey, do you think we're ever going to get Man of Steel 2? But uh, we'll, we'll probably get it sometime before we die. We might be like 80-something before we get that. Yeah. With Henry Cavill. Old, yeah. olden, olden saggy. <laughs> I'd honestly be perfectly fine with that. No, but uh, um, another aspect about the movie that I want to bring up is, you know, the way it uses its side characters. Like, it uses, you know, the Simon Pegg's character, Ving Rhames' character, and um, you see in the trailer the actress that plays his wife in the franchise, and Rebecca... Ferguson comes back, who they, they did a lot with her in the movie, and I was very surprised. That was Elsa, right? Yes. And I, I was very, very happy with the way they used the side characters, because no one really felt too pushed to the side. Whereas, like, in the fifth one, Jeremy Renner felt very pushed to the side, as compared to his role in the fourth one. And he's not even in this film. But um, I didn't feel like the characters were pushed too far to the side in this movie. What were your feelings on that? Uh, going back to Jeremy Renner, like, I loved him in four, and then, you know, I rewatched five you know, like a month or two ago, and I had just actively remember Jeremy Renner not really being in it, mm-hmm. but then when you rewatch it, he is kind of there. Like, he's there for a lot of it, but he does feel, like, he doesn't really do any action, like, yeah. he's just kind of there, like you said. Um, in terms of the side characters, though, I think that it's always been a very, uh, you know, solid, you know, it's it's a nice ensemble, mm-hmm. you know, you would think, like, with star power of uh tom cruise it would be like okay tom cruise is just gonna get the get the um the light the whole movie you know the whole movie is just gonna revolve around tom cruise which a lot of them do but they do take the time to develop the side characters as well and it's a very interesting ensemble because you would look at all three of those character actors you know tom cruise simon pegg and ving rames and you're like these guys are your action heroes <laughs> you know you look and be like i'm supposed to believe these guys are action and then you see these movies and they just have such good chemistry together and they take the time to develop every single character even ving rames who you know doesn't really do a lot of action in any of them but he still feels like he's contributing he's still a part of the team mm-hmm. and you care about these characters you know in every movie there's the jump scare of one of them's gonna die and that's just in every Mission Impossible movie and you're like I don't want this character to die Mm -hmm. and I think that's really good when as a writer as a filmmaker you're able to get that response out of somebody Mm -hmm. for just a side character yeah yeah I I completely agree with everything you said and also this movie marks the first time that a director returned to direct another entry in the franchise Christopher McCary who directed the fifth film Rogue Nation came back to do this film which I felt, because they avoided that in the past so that each movie had its own separate feel. But I sort of liked that he came back because you could tell, like, you could feel five in this movie, but he was more comfortable and it felt more in his own and able to take the characters in a new direction. And I thought it was actually a good choice. What do you think? He directed five, you said? Yeah. Well, I think that is, is important because it feels like a sequel to five. Not yeah. a sequel to Mission Impossible, but like a direct sequel to five because you know five is when they introduced rebecca ferguson's character yeah. and then you also have um the bad guy uh solomon lane he was yeah. the main bad guy and for five too, yeah. and the syndicate and you know solomon lane does show up in this movie as you see from the trailers mm-hmm. so it does feel like i like it because they're giving him the time to develop because i believe he writes them as well yeah. or assists in the writing process so it gives him the time to you know he introduced Elsa he introduced Solomon Lane he gets the chance to kind of 
drag them out, not drag them out, but expand on yeah. them and, you know, whereas a lot of the movies is just kind of the one and off bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that that's not good because look at Philip Seymour Hoffman in, in three. Yeah, I was just yeah because he's just absolutely incredible in the role. But it's just also sometimes you just get tired of that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think Marvel, you know, going, if you want to tie it into Marvel, Marvel had that issue of just the one and off villains and they're not being really memorable except for in their movie. Mm-hmm. And now they're kind of taking this approach of, well, what if we just kind of left them alive? Mm-hmm. And then if we want them, you know, down the line, we can pull from them. And I think that's an interesting approach. Yeah. No, I, I agree completely. That is a great approach. And, um, and I liked, cause five, I thought when it came out, I thought it was slightly overrated. Like I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as I liked three and four, but I liked the feel and I liked the way Christopher McCary directed the movie and then now with him coming to do six, I felt, okay, this is his Mission Impossible movie now. To me, at least, it felt like six with Fallout. He came in and was like, all right, I've done this before. I tested the waters. Now I know what I'm doing. Everyone get out of my way. And that's what it sort of felt like. This movie is very, very exciting. Um, it's in the trailer, so you know what happens, but I won't spoil like the situation. But there is a skydiving sequence in this movie that completely blew me away with how well done it was it was sort of reminiscent in five of the scene when tom cruise is drowning Mm -hmm. it was sort of reminiscent of that but skydiving and oh my god that sequence blew me away did you have a a particular sequence in this movie without spoiling the scenario that you were like wow that was such an incredible sequence Um, well i just want to go back to your last point real quick about uh the director Mm -hmm. i feel like four kind of was when the franchise kind of got revitalized yeah with brad bird yeah Yeah, with brad bird with uh four where it was just like all right mission impossible's back and i don't know what the time frame was between four and five in terms of years and everything like that but it's might be possible they maybe they rushed it Mm -hmm. and that's kind of why it kind of lacks like you're like okay four was clearly better than five Mm -hmm. but i kind of just want to get five out there real quick to keep it Mm -hmm. going and then when you get here now i think there was a sizable gap a few years between five and six so i think that kind of adds to it you know sometimes you just get oversaturated with it where you're like okay yeah. they just kind of pumped it out to pump it out um and then what was it in terms of uh, memorable action sequence Dude, memorable sequence in the, movie. in the movie you know i really liked the whole car chase scene mm-hmm. yeah that was you kind of see glimpses of it in the trailer you have uh like rebecca ferguson you see her character on the motorcycle and then Tom Cruise in the little, uh, I think it was like a little Toyota, some little like lemon looking brown car. Um, And I thought that was a really good chase scene throughout the city, just between them and the bad guys and all that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I agree. That was a very well done sequence. And um, there's actually one more thing I wanted to talk about on today's episode. And that's recently, I mean, obviously next week when Ryan comes back, we're going to do a whole Comic-Con episode and talk about that. But there was also some big news just not coming from Comic-Con, but just in the same time period as Comic-Con about Marvel and James Gunn. For those of you who don't know, James Gunn was recently let go of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because of a tweet that surfaced from like a decade ago of him making some really, you know, bad taste jokes. And they got resurfaced and Disney canned him right away. Like, almost insane how rapidly they responded to that. And, um... I'll give my opinion on it in a second, but first I want Nick to give his. Nick, what do you think about the whole scenario of James Gunn being let go from Guardians of the Galaxy 3? I mean, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the first and second Guardians of the Galaxy, and 
I think James Gunn has done a great job of bringing those characters to life because, you know, who were the Guardians? Yeah, yeah. You know, only, like, hardcore comic book fans knew who they were, and when you can appeal to a movie-going audience and make, you know, you care about that, then I think that's uh, really good. Um, you know, I don't really have an opinion on the whole situation. Um, I do just kind of, I understand it, if that makes sense, because, you know, Disney is a family company. You know, their core values are family values, all that kind of thing. So I can understand when something like this comes to light, dated or not, you know, if he, you know, being in a different place in your life or not, whatever it be. I could understand that with the bad publicity that they want to just kind of cut ties with it. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm sure they did a risk calculation of like, all right, are we going to get more backlash if we keep them or if we cut them? You know, what's going to happen here? And I think you definitely have a point like this. They have to protect the brand. And that's the number one thing for, like, for that business to do is protect the brand. So like I agree with you in that I completely understand as to where they came from. But me personally, I think that firing him was sort of a bit of a... Just how quick they fired him is what sort of got to me. Like, and, I, like, and this is pure speculation, but it almost makes me think like something else was going on. And then that happened and they're like, ah, oh, here's our reason to let him go. You know, so I'm, I'm very curious as if it was something else. And I know there's a lot of politics tied into it, which we're not going to get into, but it's it's unfortunate because I feel like he was one of the few filmmakers because no, there hasn't been a filmmaker in the MCU that's completed a trilogy. And I, th- I thought he was going to be the first one to do it with the Guardians. And I think he had a really good idea with where the story was going to go. And I think he's a great filmmaker. I think the first Guardians movie is excellent. I think the second one is good. And I was really curious to see where these characters were going to go. Obviously, we're probably going to see bits of them again in the next Avengers movie. But it's, it's, it's kind of sad that James Gunn got let go. Um, disappointing in a way. But, but like at the same time, Disney's got to protect the brand, and I understand the decision. And, and, and he's been a team player about it, too. He even let out a statement that said, look, I understand the business decision that was made today. You know. And it's unfortunate that it was years ago and it was dug up and like that kind of seems shitty. But, you know, at the same time, uh, hopefully they can just find a good, strong director. And do you think they're going to stay in-house to get the director? Or do you think that they're going to go out and get somebody else? You know, I think it kind of depends on where they want to go with it because they're definitely not scrapping the movie entirely. No, no, no. Um, and I think that kind of depends on, you know, I think that James Gunn had already turned in like a rough first draft. Mm-hmm. And I think that if they want to stick with James Gunn's script, that they will go in-house. You know, they'll kind of just find someone that, you know, they've worked with before, they know, and that they know is just going to play ball and just Mm -hmm. try to recreate James Gunn's movie. Um, But I think that if they don't use his script, they might want to just give the opportunity to someone else Mm -hmm. because they do like to find, like, these kind of... Not on well, not lesser known filmmakers, but kind of. I think a lot of them do like kind of more indie, smaller, yeah, smaller, not the big budget like a fame, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like to give that opportunity to that people, and I think that you can kind of instill that kind of humor in the Guardians. And I think Guardians is a good franchise to do that with. The only issue is that it is a trilogy, and that they would have to come in and write for, you know, carry. <laughs> it's kind of already teed up for them. They just gotta mm-hmm. hit the ball, I guess. Um, but I would, I'm definitely very interested to see what they do, if, whether it be in-house or, you know, looking outside. Uh, who would you want to direct it if they stayed in-house? 
If they stayed in-house, I mean, I think the obvious answer is Taika Waititi. I mean, Thor Ragnarok is such an amazing movie, and Taika has just such a unique voice. And, you know, and this isn't like an original idea. This has been floating around the internet, but it's such a good idea to have Taika come in and direct the Guardians. Um, also, if they stayed in-house, I wouldn't mind seeing Peyton Reed do it of the Ant-Man franchise. I feel like he could really nail down the tone of the Guardians. Um, and this might be an odder choice, but I think Scott Derrickson would be interesting in how he handled it. Because I think visually, Doctor Strange is one of the best visual-looking movies. And I think that he could take the Guardians and the actors. The actors understand the characters, and they know how to play what they do. And I think that with... Um, if Scott Derrickson were to come on that, you know, he could go to them and be like, Hey, look, you guys know what you're doing. You guys know how to play these characters. I'm here to help get the visual aesthetic and the tone right and just help me help you. And I think that with any director, really, that could be a good scenario. What about you? I actually agree with all three of those because those are really the three cosmic directors of the MC, you know, Thor Ragnarok just took everyone to space. Uh, you have the quantum realm in Ant-Man and uh, with Doctor Strange you have, what was his? Like the multiverse. The multiverse, yeah. quantum realm-esque yeah. type uh, place. Um, I would not be surprised about Scott Derrickson because I know that Doctor Strange 2 has kind of been floating in the air for a while. You know, is it happening? Is it not happening? And I think, I don't want to say blackmail because that's not the correct word. But, you know, maybe they'd be like, listen, if you make Guardians 3 for us, we'll, you know, we'll do Doctor Strange 2. Yeah, I'm sure some sort of just, just sort of bargain, yeah, like, we'll come back, we'll consider a Doctor Strange 2. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if there's maybe a different Marvel entity that Scott Derrickson wanted to tackle, mm-hmm. you know, like a lesser, you know, I don't want to, yeah. just a Moon Knight, for example. You know, I love Moon Knight, but mm-hmm. just like that example. Yeah. Um, I think Peyton Reed would definitely get, Peyton Reed, sorry, would definitely get the tone of the Guardians mm-hmm. the best. Just for that, you know, because his movie with Ant-Man, I've always felt Ant-Man was about family. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, you have, you know, like his relationship with his daughter. You have his the father and daughter relationship between uh, Scott and Cassie. And then you have the father-daughter relationship between uh, Hank and Hope. And I think it's just core values, just really family. And there's a lot of heart to it, which is kind of what the Guardians are about. Mm -hmm. Uh, As for Taika Waititi, I love the idea in theory. You know, I think that he has the humor. He has a very unique voice about it. I just feel like that his tone doesn't really work for the Guardians, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Definitely. Because like, if you look at Guardians 1 and 2, they have a very distinct kind of feel to them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they're funny and they're lighthearted, but there's also, like, just... I can't think of the word, but there's just something about them that's, like, coherent between the two. Yeah. And I feel like that Taika Waititi has a very unique sense of humor... And like his long takes and the very improvish, loose feel to it, and I just feel like it would take away from a very established franchise. Like I think that Thor, the Thor franchise, needed the revitalization. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like Guardians doesn't. Okay. So no, I think I, I, I think it would kind of you would just look at them like if you look at Thor, Thor two and Thor three. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok sticks out. Like Thor one and Thor two are very similar, and Thor three sticks out, but it needed it. Yeah. But when you would look at Guardians and look at Guardians 1 and 2 and then you looked at a Taika Waititi Guardians 3 and it would be really out there, mm-hmm. you'd kind of be like, all right, what what happened here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would definitely, I would probably put my hat in, in favor of Peyton Reed okay. personally, but then again, he's just coming off Ant-Man and the Wasp mm-hmm. and Guardians is probably starting production, I'd imagine, early next year. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they'd try to get like Scott Derrickson or... 
yeah. just whoever just to come in and I mean, they play. could just pull it disney could pull another thing and be like hey ron howard what you got going on joss come back <laughs> yeah but uh so another interesting thing i'm going to bring up is you know now james gunn is a free agent and this is sort of just us being speculative nerds but odds that warner brothers gives him a phone call i don't think so yeah just because of the all the press going on right now mm-hmm. i don't think that they'd take the chance to just kind of put that hole in their boat because mm-hmm. there's already <laughs> the ship's already sinking i don't think they want to <laughs> just keep poking holes in the hull yeah. um I'm very interested. I know he was working on a horror project for a while, mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see kind of where that goes and if he does get, you know, some other work. I hope the best for the guy. I liked his movies, you know, and it's a shame to watch this happen to anybody. Yeah. I agree completely. And uh, we'll keep it a, short, a shorter episode today, so that'll be it for today's episode of the Movie Nights podcast. For those of you that don't know, Nicholas here is the runner of our social media. He is our social media head. He is the guy. So, Nicholas, where can you find the Movie Nights on social media? You can find us on YouTube at Movie Nights. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Movie Nights. I think Nights underscore movie. Mm -hmm. Just any combination, look for our logo, which you see in the podcast. And give us a like, follow, share, retweet, poke, anything like that. (laughs) Yes, certainly. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, My name is Dalton Burdett. I am Nick Iricchio. And we will see you next time.